The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Clean Coders and its employees. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Clean Coders podcast. This week, we're talking to Eric Critchlow. Eric, welcome back. Good to be back. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. We're all stuck at home. So, I mean, what else are we going to do, right? Yeah. My, my manager just made the point to call today. I'm sure you're all putting in more than 40 hours now since you're, you're at home with nothing else. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure even stuck at home, I can come up with something other than giving extra time to the company. But hey, you do you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I own this company. So, yeah, I am. Well... I work from home, so it really didn't impact me that much that way. <laughs> if anything, it's taken time away from it just because I'm helping with homework and chasing this and that. Yeah. A teacher is, as well as everything else, you're now a homeschooling teacher. Yeah. And I, I don't want to be a homeschooling teacher. <laughs> I have figured that out. Neither do I. Nevertheless, here we are. Yeah. Anyway, let's go ahead and get rolling here and talk a little bit about what you've got going on. I think you mentioned in the form you filled in to schedule this that you're getting ready to finish up the iOS Dev 101 course. Yeah, actually just did the final review of the fifth and final episode yesterday. Uh-huh. Yeah, and yeah, that I'm, I'm presuming that'll be online and available here probably next week, I would think. Gotcha. There are a lot of parts of this, I'm sure, and some things that are uh, kind of floating around the iOS development world. Is is there a debate or story in particular that you wanted to hit more than the others? Oh, you know, it's... Okay, so it may not necessarily be the best thing to say, but in in recent weeks, yeah, I've been on the interview circuit, just kind of, you know, checking things out and seeing uh-huh. what's going on out there. And combining what I'm seeing out there with what I see amongst some of the Twitter crowd for iOS developers, combined with some of what I see at work myself, I'm like, there's just these number of different debates that I see go on and, and, and tend to be, as a lot of programmers are, pretty opinionated on things. So in a lot of cases, I have a, a, a sharp opinion on it. Or on them, and so it, it, they, you know, I, I love talking about development. So those are the kind of things, especially when there's a debate. That's the kind of thing I love to jump into, just because I, you know, I have my opinions, and they're right. strong. But I know there's reasonable, intelligent people on the other side of the debate. Are so you sure? Want to get? You know, yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Okay. Not all of them, but there's some. You know, if, if the debate's big enough to be to be talked about in multiple circles, there's there are some reasonable people on the other side. So, you know, let, let's see what they've what they've got in mind. I think one of the most recent ones I saw a tweet. Oh, Ben Sandowski, I think 
posted it. And it was about, in the, the, the general debate, I, I think, boils down to concise versus readable. And it was uh-huh. showing someone else's tweet. He, was, he had retweeted someone else's tweet that was raving about, I, I guess, new, new to me, feature in Swift. It was like an annotation for properties that cut out having to write the getter and setter. And, and they were like, hey, you know, this is the, the standard way of doing it. And this is the way to do it with this property annotation. I forget what the name of it is. Uh-huh. And, and Ben retweeted saying, yeah, you know, I don't think so. I think I kind of like it the old way. And, and so then Ben being like a former Twitter guy who's got a lot of followers and a lot of them involved in the community, people chiming in one way or the other saying, you know, yes or no. And, and I absolutely, and I, we may have talked about it the first time we, we talked. And when I talk about wanting to make the code that I write as simple as possible so that even newbie, you know, fresh out of some online course or reading a book on iOS development in Swift can, can dive into stuff I write and understand it. I look at that code like that and think, no, even seasoned Swift developers are not going to see this and know what in the world this is. So yeah, it might be a few more lines of code, but it's more readable. It's more understandable. It's better. And, and actually, I, I talked about being in interviews. One of the interviews I was on recently, the, the interviewer and I, I would say, just didn't see eye to eye on mm-hmm. a number of things. And even though you know, he's the interviewer and I'm the interviewee, I'm not going to just try to tell you what you want to hear. Right. I'm going to tell you the way I kind of see it. And, and I was talking about the problem that I see with Swift being that they got too cute with it in saying, oh, okay, well, the compiler can infer this and it can infer that and it can infer that. And so you can take this method that said return value A or you know, variable name A plus variable name B. And because variable A and B, the types can be inferred you don't have to include like the, the in the signature you don't you know don't have to include uh, a name for the variable and you can reference it by string zero for the first you know parameter and string one for the second parameter and because the entire method is only a one line method that returns a value you can omit the the word return and your entire method can end up being dollar sign zero plus dollar sign one and that's the entire method body. No. Yes, I understand it's concise. Yeah, yes, I understand <laughs> why things can be inferred and why you don't have to have you know, explicitly the word return right. and, and use the variable names. But just no. <laughs> um, someone else on Twitter, not, I've seen this a couple of times, I don't remember who originally said it, but made the point that code is, is, is written or created more so to be read than it is to be written. So stop trying to cut out every keystroke possible to make it faster for you to write and think about the people who are going to read it after you. Because it's going to be written once and read a whole bunch of times over. It should be easier to read. Right. Stop inferring things. Stop taking shortcuts. You know, don't use those language features. And I completely agree with that. And, and, And as much as I left Objective-C behind a few years ago and have pretty much been strictly swift. Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved it about Objective-C that 
it was so verbose. And I used to, you know, you're you're creating a uh, a string for a URL, and the URL has parameters in it, and so you've got you know the base the base URL string, and then string by appending string, string by appending string, string by appending string, a whole series of them as you're adding all these components onto that URL line, and you have this tremendously long line, but it could not be more understandable. And for me, that yeah. added in end of story. It's it's better. It's easier to read. It's more understandable. Yeah, it took you more key keystrokes to write it, but get over it. Well, my my deal is it's the same, right? I mean, to the c- computer, if it compiles down to essentially the same thing with the same characteristics, you know, and it gets executed the same way, then yeah, the way you write it really is then for the coder. I mean, occasionally it's, hey, use this function instead of that function or this method instead of that method in order to, you know, because they have different characteristics and there's some trade-off. But, you know, yeah, if if it's just down to, well, it's this fancy syntax that lets you shorten up the code, unless it makes it easier to reason about at the same time, I agree with you. It's, you know, yeah, it's it's down to, yeah, it was made to be read. It was made to communicate the purpose of the code. And if it doesn't, then you're creating a potential maintenance problem down the road. Oh, absolutely. And so, yeah, that's one of them. And again, being, being through this course of interviewing, I, I've found, and I see a little bit on Twitter, that there, there are people in the iOS world who are dipping into functional programming. And, and there's a very, very large credit card company with a, a large team of iOS developers, and they have totally gone into, you know, bought in on functional programming in iOS. Oh, did I open another can of worms? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not, you know, I don't know a lot about functional programming. I just, you know, have read the, the, the little blurbs on it and maybe an article or two. So I kind of get the idea, but I've never actually uh, taken a course in it, or read a book in it to to understand what the code really looks like, what the architecture really looks like. So I'm not I'm not shooting the idea down. I'm not saying it's horrible. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that I haven't been convinced yet that I need to get away from the object oriented paradigm that I've been in for the last twenty plus years to come over to this functional programming thing. But you know, Dr. Bob himself, he's done a, a series on functional programming. He seems mm-hmm. to be pretty pretty fairly hot into it. So I'm sure that it's, again, there's people on the other side of that debate. And I know that there's some intelligent people there and they've got some, some strong beliefs in it and some good reasons for it. And maybe one day I'll look into it, but it wasn't really something I desired to go work on, you know, right now, day to day in a, mm-hmm. in a, in a new position. I kind of think that the way we've been doing things for the, for the better part of the last couple of decades, sure it has problems and sure everybody can point to, to issues, but every Every language, every framework, none of them's perfect. So there's always going to be problems with something. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the the debate between functional programming and object-oriented programming is a really interesting one. And it's interesting, too, because it changes from language to language, right? So in JavaScript, there's this whole argument about object-oriented versus versus functional. But when it boils right down to it, what you're really talking about is prototypal programming, not object-oriented. It works differently versus mm-hmm. functional. And then there's kind of the the way that people have settled into doing things versus functional. And a lot of that is more procedural. And so it's a different argument. I mean, here in Swift, you know, we're talking about, about different things. But there are, there are things I like about functional programming. And then there are things that just feel completely foreign and a little bit overkill in functional programming. And so 
I, I definitely see trade-offs there. Sometimes it can also, you know, be more performant. But I, I think the big arguments in favor of functional programming versus non-functional programming really boils down to functional programming, in my experience, is much more explicit. So, you know, you have to pass the function everything it's going to operate on. Right. And so it's very explicit. And in a lot of those cases, what that means is that everything you need to know about it is right there. And so I like that, right? Because I don't have to wonder what the context is or anything else. Because if it's not in that function, it doesn't exist. Right. And then the other thing that I like about it is that in order for functional programming to be mathematically sound, so to speak, so purely functional, there can't be side effects. Now, the flip side is, is that some functional systems work in places where you have to have side effects. And so what they do is they wind up coming up with uh, interesting ways of managing those side effects, right? So that it can do what it has to do. But the flip side of that is, is that because you're so constrained on what kinds of side effects you can have, you, again, you don't have to worry about any weirdness with callbacks or you know, things that, that are happening out of turn that aren't explicitly called upon within the function. Like you said, you use the word trade-offs. Every language you use, every system, every framework, they've all got trade-offs. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm quite sure that it's not, oh, this is it. This is the perfect programming paradigm and we should all move to it and everything will be absolutely perfect and every piece of software will be bug-free. And not, No. So, so, yeah, maybe, maybe one day I'll look into it. Yeah, uh, and, and again, I, I mean, I only know that that one in that one company that's using it, but I do occasionally see some people on like on Twitter talking about it. So it's just uh, it, it's something I follow with interest. You know, I still last time we talked, I mentioned I hadn't looked at uh, SwiftUI yet. Still haven't, and, and I'm somewhat heartened by seeing the people who are saying, "Yeah, I, I figured I would do my next project in SwiftUI," and yeah, no, not quite ready for prime time yet. Maybe. Maybe in version two or something, where I can version one yet. Yeah, maybe in version two it'll be you know, good enough, or in a year or two it'll be good enough. So I'm like, okay, whew, thank goodness. The fact that I'm not on board with it and haven't started using it yet is, is I guess, not uh, career killing at this point. Yeah. Within the iOS sphere, though, I'm also seeing a lot of the functional programming being paired with reactive programming. So you Sounds like the, it. Yeah. Yeah, you get functional reactive programming is what they're calling it, and that's got some interesting stuff going on there. I'm not as conversant with it in iOS as I'd like to be though. So I'm not going to delve too deep on that, but yeah, definitely. Yes, I don't want to shoot stuff down, especially if I, yeah. you know, I don't have any experience in it. I, I can't shoot SwiftUI down because I, I, I don't know it. I haven't even tried using it yet, but I do get the impression from, from what I hear and a little bit that I've looked at, that there's a lot more UI stuff done in code and hey. I'm I'm personally really really big on using storyboards and you know, using the UI designer and Xcode on things. When I first broke into the business at American Express, coincidentally, that's would be a credit card company. Hmm. Um, <laughs> their, their very first app, account servicing app, our group uh, did the code review on it, and we were there was only two of us who were iOS guys, but. We were both stunned to see that there wasn't, you know, at the time there was no such thing as storyboards, but there, were, there wasn't a zip to be found, or I guess a nib at the time. There was uh -huh. a nib file. We did everything in code, and we're looking at each other like, people really do that? That's, that, that's a thing in, in iPhone programming? 
UI is totally done in code. So to see that that it looks like, at least, unless I'm missing it, on the Swift UI side, a lot more stuff is done in code. Mm-hmm. Just kind of makes me take a step back. Like, really, is that the direction we want to go in? I do that on Android because the UI designer was never really that good. But <laughs> on the iOS side, it's pretty been pretty decent the, the entire time. So yeah, why do you want to go in that direction? Yeah, I mean, I could see if they wanted to, for example, I wouldn't be too uncomfortable with them actually saying, you know what, we're going to maintain both. But yeah, they tend to push you one way or the other. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to to see where that ends up. But yeah, you should talk to Alex about his opinions on Swift UI because he'll go on and on about why it's not ready. Yeah, and I believe Alex had opinions on on the state of interviewing. And oh yeah, yeah, he's out there looking for a job right now. Question, and and he and I were totally on the same page with that. And that's you know, that's another thing I found out there being being. And I, I wouldn't say that. Well, I, I guess interviewing itself and the way that interviews are conducted is also a a a debate that that goes on out there. Although it seems like everybody I see all seem to fall on the same side of it, except for the people doing interviewing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, time was, you're you're wanting to work on iOS here with us. Okay, we need to know that you know what you're doing. Talk to us about table views. You know, how do you implement them? They want to know that you understand protocols, that you understand data sources and delegates and how delegation works. Yeah. Maybe that you understand what a UI table view cell is and how it gets reused and, and you know how things get called to update tables. And and you, you talk about that for a while and someone can say, yeah, okay, yeah, I, I think you probably know iOS developer pretty well. You know, that at least in the early yeah. days. And may, maybe later you get on to talking, well, how do you, how do, you do navigation? And you, you talk about segways and how they work. And okay, yeah, you, you, you can talk about things that only an iOS developer understands. And you can understand that person knows iOS development. Maybe they, they know, they, they, I don't want to use the word the basics, but they know about iOS development. Now, they uh-huh. may be a terrible coder. The, the, the decisions they make, the architectures they use might be horrible. <laughs> Maybe. You can get an understanding if they know, the, if they know Cocoa Touch frameworks and you know, how they work. Now, being out there and going through interviews, I don't recall recently having been asked a single question that gets to the heart of whether or not I understand Cocoa Touch and how it works. It, they are mostly... <laughs> They're mostly coding exercise or coding challenges done through a website where they can watch what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the websites, sorry, they're terrible. And I mean, I wouldn't expect any more of them. They're not an IDE. Everybody, and you know, I talk to very people I work with and other you know, people I know, not a single one of us is very good at memory, and, and because we don't need to be, at memorizing method signatures, you know, the method names and parameters of, of, of classes, framework classes we use every single day because we use code completion. We don't have to remember these things. You put me on a, a website that is basically just a text editor that doesn't know the language and doesn't have code completion and tell them now, write a whole routine that will do this. I don't remember the names of methods on array or set 
uh, or, or maybe certain things with dictionaries. And add to that the fact that on a daily basis, I'm jumping back and forth between Android and iOS development. And now I'm having to remember, is it called, is it size or length or <laughs> on this platform in this language? I don't remember. So you know, I'm always telling them, look, I'm giving you pseudocode. You're not going to get a piece of code in this exercise that you could plop in the Xcode and have it run. It's going to complain about tons of stuff. Because all I'm doing is letting you know what my thinking, my thought process is, and I'm writing it out as pseudo. Yeah. But the fact that that's, that that's what the interviews for iOS, did, I mean, and, and I'm talking high level, senior iOS developer positions have come to writing, you know, write a, a, a routine that'll do this. And this is probably something you're never actually going to write in, in the job. Just baffles. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I mean... I have so many thoughts here. I don't even know where to start. You know, it, it feels a little bit akin to here's a whiteboard, you know, right? Oh, yeah. You know, because again, you don't have any, any of the benefit of any of that, right? And so, you know, then you've got the guy sitting in there going, okay, I, I'm curious to see how, how he thinks. And then you've got the other guys in there that are thinking, okay, well, he left a semicolon off there. And, mm-hmm. you know, and he's not using the blah, blah, blah style for this parentheses. And, and then you've got somebody else in there that doesn't know even as much as you do. And so you use some something that is expressive, but different from the way he would do it. And so it must be wrong. And at the end of the day, you know, instead of just, okay, you know, just pair programming with somebody and sitting down and coding it out or, you know, some of the other methods that I've seen where at least you get a feel for how they work and how they think and things like that. And, and by making it impersonal, I mean, you're really missing a lot of the important details anyway. Because if I'm going to hire somebody, I don't care how good you are. If I can't work with you, I don't want to work with you, right? <laughs> yes. And so if I can sit you down and we can work together for an hour, that tells me a whole lot more than if I say, okay, go over to this website and you know do, do the test or whatever, right? But the problem is, is that in some cases, the people doing the hiring aren't really... Um, able to do that kind of analysis with the person, right? They can't sit down and actually know how deep your knowledge goes by sitting and talking to you, either because they don't have the skills to have the conversation that way and drive it to what they need to know, or they don't, you know, they don't know it themselves. You know, you're talking to somebody in HR or something like that. And then I've seen that too, right? And so anyway, my feeling is, is you've got to have somebody who's competent to do the job, interview somebody to make sure they're competent to do the job. And yeah, you've got to be looking for the, all of the qualities that you need, including the soft skills. And a lot of companies just miss out on that. And I also have to point out that I've talked to a bunch of companies. I used to, I don't get them any, as much anymore, but I used to get calls every month or so. And it'd be somebody from some company saying, hey, we're trying to hire and it's just not working. Can we talk to you? And ask you what what's going on. So they call me up, and their first question is, "How do we get a senior dev?" And I'm like, "Oh well, it depends. What do you want? We want a senior dev." <laughs> and I'm like, "What does that mean?" Well, somebody with at least X amount of years of experience. And I'm like, "That still doesn't tell me anything, right?" Because I've seen people that have been in this industry for five years that are not a whole lot better than they were after one year, right? And the other thing is, is you're not telling me what kinds of problems they need to be able to solve or what kinds of things they're good at 
or who they're going to be reporting to, or what kind of a structure they're going to be working under, or how you come up with the you know the tasks or stories they're going to be working on, or right. I'm like those. Those are all the things you need to know because then you can get in and you can say, okay, well, you know, how do you solve this particular aspect of the work, and also how do you do with all of these technical things? And that way you can kind of feel out, okay, well, we need somebody that can take some initiative on the way that we work, and you know, and actually drive the team forward. And they write stories in a way that's going to work there, right? Or you know, you know what, Joe Blow over here. Or Jane that sits next to him. Between the two of them, they pretty well run the story, uh, the set of stories fine, right? They, they manage the backlog real well. They kind of take the initiative on that for the team. I don't need somebody that's strong there. I need somebody that's strong somewhere else that we're lacking on this team. And, and that makes way more of a difference when you're trying to hire because then you can start to select people for the skills they have that you need rather than just saying, well, we just need somebody that's good. And none of them know that. And a lot, and a lot of times that will 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 happen, especially if it's a smaller company that doesn't have anyone yeah. that knows you know, mobile development, much less iOS development. And if you got a bigger company with a bigger team and, and knowledgeable people, then then that part you can hopefully avoid. One of the one of the interviews I had recently with a a very large American bank. It was more, even though it was still one of these coding things and one of these websites and, and this text editor, it was more of a pair programming session. And it wasn't just, I'm going to sit here and watch what you do. It was as if that person was sitting next to you and giving you ideas and, oh, hey, maybe you might want to do that. Or, hey, maybe that the, method, the name of that method actually is this instead of that. Or, and, and, and they did make kind of the point that it wasn't just about your knowledge. It was how how well do you work with other people? Because you're going to work on a team. And, and so can you sit here and have yeah. a person making suggestions to you and take those suggestions well and not be, you know, combative, combative and argumentative about it? So that, that you know, there's ways to go about it. I'm not, yes, I hate the whole whiteboarding thing. I'm not a fan of, of, of coding exercises or coding challenges is what they really are on, on text editing websites. But and with with the guy I was doing that interview with, I actually, we, you know, we had a good conversation going. We spent like three hours, you know, doing this this whole yeah. exercise. And in talking to him, I, I told him, you know, I think the best experience I ever had with this was years ago interviewing for a company, and their thing was, here's a coding challenge, but we're not going to sit over your shoulder and watch you do it. We're not going to ask you to sit here in an, envir- in an environment that you're not used to and, and try to do it. You know, we're not going to put you on a whiteboard and do it. Go home. Go right. to your environment, your computer, your laptop. Do it however you would do it. And just by tomorrow morning, send us a project. You can yep. spend as little or as much time on it as you want. That's totally up to you. But in their, in their thing was a hex calculator. So mm-hmm. create a hex calculator in iOS and send us the project. And I'm like, cool. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm in the comfort of my own home, my own environment, doing things the way I would do it. I absolutely love that. His response, and, and I, I did credit him like, okay, I can see that, was he felt like that was in a way asking for free work from you. Like, okay, now you go off and spend hours doing something for us that is going to end up going nowhere and you won't be compensated for it. But it was also, he's like, with me sitting here with you for three hours, you see that we are committed and investing in this process. It's not just, mm-hmm. okay, hey, you go off and do something and send it back to us. And, and, and I don't, you know, and I'm going back to doing my job. 
while you take your own precious time, you're doing this. So I'm sitting here with you and I'm you know, taking time. I'm being paid for by the company to be in this. So, you know, right. we're serious and we, we think you are potentially a good you know, fit for this. And, and so we're committing to this. And I, and I understood it, but I still <laughs> would prefer if they just, someone just gave me a project and said, send me them tomorrow. And you had 24 hours, send me your project. Yep. Back when functional programming was making its resurgence, I found it really interesting that a lot of people were moving over there and it almost felt like it was on hype. And I didn't really understand the power of functional programming until I learned Elixir. Elixir is a functional programming language. It's built on the Erlang virtual machine and it really does some interesting things and makes you build apps in a different way. But what's really fascinating about it is the speed of the applications, the ability to distribute work easily and just how it manages the functional programming and all of the nice things about it so that you don't have to worry about side effects and a lot of the other things that come out of functional programming. Plus, pattern matching in Elixir is a killer feature. If you're looking for a new language that you want to learn that is going to make a difference for you and give you the opportunity to challenge some of your thinking and find a new way of doing it, Elixir is a great way to go. And we have a podcast now on Elixir called Elixir Mix. And you can find that at elixirmix.com. At my first job out of college, I was actually working in support, tech support. So I, was, I would get calls from our customers and I would help them fix the problem on their Windows machine. And they were hiring a web developer. And so, you know, their shtick was they would put them through the whiteboard torture and then they would give them a project to work on. And so they gave them a project to work on and they gave them like an hour or two hours, but they put them in the room with us. And so we're trying to work and he's trying to work. And I, I remember feeling bad for him because he got up at the end of the thing and you could tell that it had not gone well. And so he walked out the door. He went home and he spent like two or three hours at home and he cranked the whole project out, sent it back to him and they wound up hiring him. But you know, it's, it's that kind of thing too. I mean, yeah, like you said, you're putting somebody in a position where it doesn't look anything like what they're, where they're actually going to be working. Not and all. Yeah. So yeah, why not let them work in an environment where they've customized things the way that they like to work? Because at the end of the day, that's what they're going to do anyway with the company issued machine. You know, with all the, I would think that we would have gotten to a point here where we would have improved and streamlined this process so that we actually were doing it well. And yet we're in the mobile space, we're a dozen years in, in, in computer programming in general, we're decades and decades in. And we seem to be getting worse. I mean, technology, the fact that we now have these websites devoted to letting you watch someone code in a text editor, you know, we, we seem to be going in the wrong direction on that, which is stunning to me. I'm like, so where are we going to be another five years from now? Yeah. yeah. Same are, place. Are we really going to fix it and get better at it? Or are we yeah. you know, getting terrible? And then how many truly not good <laughs> developers are being hired because they can somehow navigate this process better than others. And how many great developers are, are I was going to say missing out on jobs. No. How many jobs are missing out on great developers because they go about it in all the wrong way? Yep, absolutely. Saying that, I've, I've made mistakes my, my, myself. And where I'm at now, I put a self-imposed, I don't get to take interview anybody anymore because one of the last people I did it with he passed. And, okay, I think you know what you're doing. Wow, when he got to the company, it just oh oh oh, we're gonna miss on my part. Reality check. Sometimes you just can't know. I mean, honestly, you know, people come in, they put their best foot forward. They may know enough to talk their way past a lot of that stuff. I mean, I've hired people. 
you you should see my hiring record to be honest i mean <laughs> i've hired people that were great for a long time and then you know we both kind of screwed up the whole thing i've hired a whole bunch of people that i wound up letting go after a couple of weeks two three four weeks not developers i've done it with developers too but you know, just depending on which which company I was at and or my own and, and how that was going, you know, I have hired and let developers go too. But at the end of the day, what what's really interesting is is that yeah, I talk through things, but the only way I really would know if they were able to do the job is if I gave them a piece of the job to do. And so when I'm hiring you and and that's why I like the the take home assignment or something like that. And I do that when I'm hiring people too. And if I'm doing it for the podcast, I usually actually pay people to do the demo work. That's cool. Because it's, you know, I'm usually paying them that anyway, right? So it's like, hey, look, it's gonna I'm gonna pay you 15 bucks, you know, or you know, or 20 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever. Go edit the podcast or go write the show notes, you know. And so I pay them whatever the going rate is with my people that I already have, you know, to go do the show notes or what have you or edit the podcast, but then I get a piece of work back that I can look at, right? And to be perfectly honest, I don't care what they edit it in. I don't care what that, you know, at the end of the day, I just get back what I, the result I want. Right. And so that's, that's where it comes down to. Now with coding, yeah, you probably want to crack open the app and make sure that it's not going to be a maintenance nightmare, you know, that they're not writing code that's poorly organized or poorly factored so that, you know, it's going to cause problems down the line. But, you know, in my case where I'm getting a final product back in an hour or so, you know, that, that works. And so the take-home project that you're talking about, that makes a whole ton of sense to me. Because at the end of the day, they're going to give you back something that's probably just slightly more polished than what they would normally write for work. And so if it's, you know, if it's good enough for that, you know, you're happy having them write code like that into your code base, then you can make that call. Right, right. But at the end of the day, some of these folks, it looked like they qualified on all counts. And then, you know what? I wound up having to let them go because they didn't or they wouldn't. So. Yeah, so I, I I think I've allowed myself to forgive myself for that mistake a couple of years back. And, and I'm back to, to interviewing others again and, and thinking that I can do a decent job of it. But man, like I say, you, you, you just never know. It, it can it can go either way. Yeah, I wrote. You, you're talking about you know the, the the kind of job they do and and what you can see out of looking through their code. And it just reminds me of an article that a uh, well, a blog post and a LinkedIn post that I wrote some probably a few years ago now. I think I titled it like "Are you an Are you a software architect?" And and the whole point of it was yes. <laughs> in in a, in a in a word, if you're a programmer. And especially if you're a programmer who's ever written a program start to finish all on your own, and especially if you've ever written even a simple game where you have to to have a a cycle of how things get processed and, and how things get handled, and, and if it's in you know graphical game, how sprites get moved around, how collision detection is done. If you've ever written something that has to to, to work in a loop and continue working and not blow up, that's an architecture. You're an architect. You may be a terrible architect. <laughs> that's a whole different question. But you are not a software architect. You understand how to architect in a complete app. You understand how to make calls to the back end and process the results asynchronously. You know, mm-hmm. stuff that 
and and I and and I've had that conversation, and and, and that's a debate, and, and seeing people just vehemently disagree with it. And I understand again, it's not saying anything about how good of an architect you are, but you have created an architecture. Your architecture might be popsicle sticks and band aids, <laughs> yeah, but it's an architecture. True. And yeah, that's what I want to see when and if and I guess and for me then, um, on my resume now, front and center at the top is. My GitHub page is this, <laughs> GitHub slash uh-huh. E. Critchlow with my project. So instead of putting me on the spot and looking over my shoulder and trying to watch me solve this, this coding challenge, why don't you go look at what I write that I'm willing to put out there in front of other people as a shining example of what I can do? Yeah. And if that code's garbage, then you, it, it, really? You, wanted to, you publicized <laughs> that this is some code you wrote and it's absolute garbage. Well, yeah, then you don't want to hire me because I'm, that's probably the best I can do. But if you look at it and say, oh, okay, I get that. that that's well-structured. That's well-architected code. There you go. You probably learned more from that than you will from an hour-long or two-hour-long interview with me on a phone. Yeah, true. Well, I don't have anything to add to that. Yeah, I love talking about this stuff. It's yeah. therapeutic for me. Yeah. Get out here and get this off of my chest. Yeah, but it, you know, going back to just where the interviewers are coming from, a lot of them just do it the way that they've seen it done. And unfortunately, in our profession, I don't see a lot of people out there actually training technical leaders. And so what happens is you'll either get somebody that's promoted from within the team to be the team lead, and then they wind up doing the hiring. And so it's like, okay, well, how, how do these interview things go again? And so they just kind of stumble into it. Or, you know, maybe the company has a process for hiring and so you have to go through that or, you know, any number of other reasons. And, you know, so through no fault of their own, nobody really taught them how to do it. And to be fair, nobody in the rest of industry gets interviewing done that well either. Point. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, it's a universal problem and some people do it well and most people, the vast majority of people don't. And so, you know, they just do what they've seen and that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, I can see that. that. That makes a lot of sense. Hey, I know where I'm at. You know, big company, big HR, big processes. And, and there's some interview style. I forget the name of it, but that, that we've adopted. And so everybody has to follow this. And it, it means asking a bunch of questions that everybody rolls their eyes at. And we go through training about how to do interviews and, and we don't have any other choice but to do it this way. And, and I'm sure they would not let me. So, hey, I want to interview people by giving them a coding challenge and let them send me a project. No, no, absolutely not. That's, you know, we've got a thick HR book here that says exactly how we do things and that's not it. So, yeah, pe- people get stuck with, with what yep. they have to work with and, and make the best of it. Yep. But unfortunately, you know, if you make a bad call, you either miss out on some really great opportunity because you missed the person that would have fit and done the job that you needed or flip side, you, you know, you hire somebody that you wind up paying for over and over and over again until you get tired of them and let them go. Hmm. I, and I think this is part of the problem and how I ended up making that, that mistake the time that I did, but I, while I will ask some technical questions, I, I try to keep it to a minimum just to know, does this person really, I mean, is this just a complete fraud? Is this Mm -hmm. person lying through their teeth? And we've seen such people out there. It has happened. Oh yeah. Um, but, But once I get past that, 
it's more so personality traits. It's not even so much a personality fit for the team, although that's important too. It's a, and, and admittedly, I'm looking for me because I, <laughs> I have to, uh, ultimate respect for me and the way I went about doing it. And we talked last time about how I got into the business and how it was a hobby that turned into a profession. But I look for those people. I'm like, are you someone who has a, a, a whole list of indie projects you want to get to and you're always on one of them? Are you, when you go home, you crack open your laptop and start working on your personal project when new platform X or new framework X comes out or new language X are you learning that on your own, even though they don't use it at your job just because you want to know it? You know, that, that personality type is the person that I think I'm probably going to be able to trust you. You're probably going to do well because this is not a job. This is not a, a career that someone told you in high school, hey, you're really good at math. You'd probably be good at programming and it pays a lot of money. So you went and studied it in college. No, you're a person who I do because I enjoy it. I like it. I like mm-hmm. getting something up on the screen and, and being able to do stuff and having people use my stuff. You know, I want that enthusiastic person who does it for the love. You know, and you know, I'm a big sports fan. And it, it saddens me that the last time we talked, the very last part of our, our, our conversation was about the, the month of March and me raving about March Madness and how fantastic it is and the best sporting event in the world. And shortly uh, after that conversation, it got canceled. <laughs> I feel for you, man. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I was very hurt. But I, I've listened to, like, I listen to a lot of sports talk radio and I'll hear coaches and front office people talk about the, the draft and, and sometimes free agency and what kind of players they're going to bring onto their team. And they want to know more than just your measurables are good. You, you know, your strength, your, your jump, you know, not high jump ability, but you know, they've got this test of where you jump up and you're vertical. So your vertical jump is good and this, that, and the other. And you've got you know, all the tools of a good football player. That's great. But if you don't love playing the sport of football, you're not going to be good. And you're going to burn out and, and you're going to be a failure. And, and they'll list examples of guys who came into the league and who had all the, the tangibles, but didn't have the intangibles, just didn't really love playing the sport of football. And so a lot of these GMs and, and coaches will talk about, yeah, I'll take that guy over there. I'll take that guy who absolutely just loves it. He believes mm-hmm. playing this game because I know I can count on him. Yeah. He is going to overachieve. For me, it's the same in programming. Yeah, I want that person who does it for the love. Yeah, when I was a team lead, what, like 10 years ago, that was one thing that really bothered me is that I was put on put in as team lead over a handful of people that, yeah, weren't as passionate about it as I was. And, you know, the more I worked to different places, the more I wanted that. And, you know, the last place I had as a full-time job, that's where I was. And then when I was a freelancer, I wound up a lot of times finding other freelancers that were that way. And yeah, it makes a major difference being able to work with people that are into it, that it, that love it, that it will inspire you and and talk to you about it and help you dive in. And I, yeah, I that that's why I do the podcasts is <laughs> because I get to talk to those people every day. And I, I have to imagine that's tons of fun because you know. Oh talk, yeah. Now and you you know from talking to me, I love talking about this stuff. It's fun, and I know you love talking about this stuff. And the fact that that's what you get to do constantly, just have these conversations. 
is is enviable. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. So you said that the course is coming out real soon, right? Yes. Like I said, I just finished wrapping up reviewing the 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 last the video of the last episode. And so that should be ready to go here real soon now. And then I have to to go back and think, well, kind of see how it does, see what the demand is for it. But you know, the 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 title of the first course was iOS Dev 101. So the thought behind it was kind of the college course thing. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. so now I've I've spent five episodes covering what I think are the basics that get a person who probably is that person who who does it for the love and who's maybe they're a web developer or on another platform, whatever, desktop, Android, and they want to come over and, and do this. Now I've given them the basics. You can uh, you understand how to how to develop a full fledged, complete, real iOS app. The next thing, you know, if if it if the demand proves to be there, if enough people, enough people seem to like it and, and want more, would be okay. What's my two hundred level course? You know, and there's a there's a lot of things I didn't cover and didn't cover in depth. You know, the instruments like I just barely touched that subject, but that's a whole huge thing. If you if if you really use instruments, you can do a lot with it. Mm-hmm. And you know, advanced debugging, push notifications, multi-threading, you know, getting the most out of dispatch queues. There's just there's a lot of higher level, more advanced topics. Like so, so I may be kicking back here and, and mulling over the development of of iOS Dev two hundred one, mm-hmm. uh, and then have them decide what's well, what would a three hundred level course be? You know, that's that's the direction we'll head in. Sounds good. Well, I'm I'm definitely going to go check it out myself. Yeah. Love to hear hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, even well, the I'm, I'm I'm one of those web developers that yeah wants to get into mobile development. So it's the place to be. <laughs> yeah. It is, and it is. I mean, it's it's interesting. But one thing that I will say is that so I've been working on this app for podcasters for a while, and I'm getting ready to launch it this summer. And I will tell you that the one thing that I want more than anything else from the system that I currently have, and from other the other systems out there that I've seen that help manage podcasts, is that I want to be able to pick up my phone, and I want to be able to fix stuff on the fly on my phone. Right. So if I go water skiing. And I get back in the boat and there's a text from my team that says, hey, this is busted and we don't know what to do with it. I can whip out my phone and I can fix it over my data plan. Right. Right. And the web, I mean, sometimes it just does not work that way on a phone. Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. The making phones as functional as desktops is still not totally there yet. It depends on the use case, but yeah. for a lot of use cases, it is great for you know shopping and sending emails and all that stuff. But there are use cases where yeah, the phone is more informational than getting in and digging around and, and changing stuff and fixing stuff. And, and yeah, even even with one of, one of my own main programs, I never figured out how to make a phone version. You know, mm-hmm. I was able to do an iPad version of okay, with given the, the screen layouts and how this all works. That that I could do, but putting it on the phone screen and making it as functional and and intuitive and usable, yeah, I I, I still to this day haven't gotten there. So it's, yeah. it's it's a challenge, but it's a fun, it's a challenge. It's a puzzle. It's a fun challenge. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well let's go ahead and wrap it up here. Uh, thanks. This is a lot of fun. Enjoy it every time. All right. We'll have to do it again soon. I will look forward to it. All righty. 
Well, folks, until next time, Max out. <laughs>